put on the uniform and found myself. I served my country and fell in love with me. Travel the world being all I could be. God showed me here is where I'd be. Always on time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Women Veterans Social Justice Network here on Heroes Media Group. This is Bridgette McCoy. I am the CEO of Women Veterans Social Justice Network and your host today. I am here talking with Lisa Herring, and she's going to be giving us some information about applying for your Social Security benefits. Lisa is a mom of a combat Marine veteran and a very active um, military family member in our community. And her work spans, spans a number of years of, you know, being in the system working for Social Security. And now she has her own business, and she'll talk a little bit more about that. I am so honored, Lisa, that you would be willing to come and talk with us uh, today. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much, Bridget. I really appreciate it. I love an opportunity to give out good educational information about Social Security disability. It's the type of benefits where there is a lot of misinformation out there and, you know, people really struggle with how do I navigate this, what's true, do I need a lawyer or not, you know, all kinds of questions. So I appreciate the opportunity to come on and give some good information uh, for your veterans. Yeah, that that is a big issue. I feel like with our, especially our women veteran, the information sometimes doesn't get to us right away. Um, more of our brothers who are combat veteran are post 9/11 veteran. The information kind of gets to them first, and we have to kind of decipher what's going on because the the rules for a lot of the programs and services are very, very, very specific to certain eras, to certain um, uh, uh, service time, certain service types. Um, and so for the women vets, uh, it's, it's, it can be kind of challenging to figure it out. But in this instance, we're lucky because we have you and you're, you're here to kind of tell us, you know, the, about the programs for veteran in general to apply for Social Security or SSI, SSDI and SSI. And though, and let's, let's start a little bit first. Let's step back a couple steps because I was getting ahead of myself. I want, you to tell us just maybe um, a couple sentences about yourself, like, you know, what your history is, how you got started in doing this work, and, and why you're passionate about doing the work for veterans. Okay. So I worked for the Social Security Administration as a um, claim specialist. So I did a lot of things at Social Security, but the majority of what I did was helping people to file the best possible claim for disability. So that might sound surprising to your listeners. You know, there's a lot of um, bad press about the federal government, Social Security Administration included. Some of it is, is um, you know, very justified. It's a, it's a challenging system. They're overworked, they're underfunded, they're short-staffed, and, you know, like any place else in the federal government, sometimes you have some people working there that really shouldn't be working there. They don't have the best interests of the public in mind. However, I was very happy to find out when I took that job that actually my job was to really help people. That was my job. Um, if it had been anything other than that, I don't think I could have stayed there, to be honest. Um, but I really got to interact with people at some of the most challenging times of their lives. You know, they were sick, they were injured, and they found themselves in a situation where they could no longer work. Some of those people really had loved their jobs and didn't want to have to leave their jobs. Um, I was one of those people. I actually became disabled myself. Um, that's why I no longer work at the Social Security Administration. I just um, got to the point where I could no longer actually do the job. Um, so, you know, it's a very challenging and difficult thing to find yourself in that type of situation. And now here you are in order to get the benefits that really will help you to get financial stability, to get the treatment that you need, um, to have some, you know, alleviation of your anxiety about now what am I going to do with my life, 
Um, in order to get those benefits, you're facing having to navigate a large government program that, you know, you hear all kinds of things about, you read all kinds of things about, how do I do this? And it's really overwhelming for people. So tell me, um, so it sounds like you understand personally that you have empathy for um, those who experience um, disabling effects causing them not to be able to work or not to be able to work in gainfully employ- in gainful employment. And so a gainful, sustainable employment, because there's a, there's some verbiage that people need to understand, I believe, in order to, um, even engage with the, the system first. And then there's a process within that of gathering your, cause this is a legal pro, this is, this is a legal process. This isn't just a general conversation. You have to have your proof, uh, of your injuries. You have to have proof that those injuries are long term, that they, more than likely are not going to recover in ways that you can get your old type of employment back. I mean, there's like all of these different, like you said, hurdles that you have to overcome. And so how do you organize? Give give us maybe two or three little things, ways to begin the process to organize entry into the into applying for your Social Security. Okay. So I think the first thing that I really try to get across to veterans, first of all, Social Security disability is is for folks that um, can't work or can only work in a very, very limited fashion. Um, it's tied directly to work, which is very different from the VA. You know, someone can be 100% disabled with the VA and they can still work. It's a totally different criteria. So it's very important that veterans understand, you know, a lot of them have been um, dealing with the VA system and either have their benefits or in the process of fighting for a disability rating, it's very important that they understand that Social Security disability is quite different. The rules are different. The whole process is different. And so I usually start off by saying that Social Security Disability Insurance, SSDI, as you can tell, it's an insurance program. Um, and what I do try to emphasize in that situation is that you really, um, you know, a lot of veterans are like, well, I don't want to take something away from somebody else. I don't want to be a charity case. Those yeah, I hear that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and what I, what I say right out of the gate is you need to understand that this is an insurance program. It's literally an insurance program. So you pay your insurance premiums by paying your FICA taxes when you were working. And it's as if your roof fell in, you call your insurance adjuster and say, hey, my roof fell in, I need to file a claim. So it's very much like that for SSDI. SSI is a separate program. Not too many veterans would qualify for SSI. More your homeless veterans, that kind of thing. And even then, it might be a temporary eligibility for SSI because SSI stands for Supplemental Security Income, and it is a federal welfare program. It's not based on how much you worked or taxes paid in. And there's a lot of confusion between those two programs. But anyway, so, you know, you had to have worked. Um, One of the things that I noticed, because I'm in a lot of veteran groups, particularly when it comes to benefits. And I noticed that there are loads of myths and misconceptions about Social Security disability. And, of course, I'm not the SSDI police, and it's not my job to correct everybody. (laughs) But it scares me because sometimes people are being discouraged from filing when they shouldn't be. So... You know, for example, somebody might say, well, you know, I haven't worked for seven years, and somebody else will pop on and say, well, you can't file for Social Security disability because you had to have worked five out of the last ten years. Well, that is partially correct, but they're missing a really critical piece of information, and that piece of information is the rest of the sentence is, in relationship to when you became disabled. So if you became disabled seven years ago and you stopped working because you were disabled and you just didn't file until now, 
you worked, you know, five out of the last, assuming you probably did, worked five out of the last 10 years in relationship to when you became disabled. Not in relationship to now, but that's okay. In relationship to when you became disabled, you absolutely can file. You're just going to use the date of onset that is when you stopped working. Yes. That so sense. that's just a small example. <laughs> it's that makes a small sense example. <laughs> yes, good. I'm glad it makes sense. Um, but, you know, sometimes people just go, oh, they don't call Social Security. They see something in a veterans group and they go, well, I guess I can't file. You know, I can't, I can't get those benefits. And I hate to see that happen because, you know, totally might not be true. So what... So what about um and and I and I think and I think it's called the warrior program or the wounded right. veteran or injured what is the what is the real name because I don't want to spread a misinformation wounded warrior slash military casualty that there's two categories that veterans can fit into um that cause a certain type of processing with social security disability so Basically, it's these two groups. It's either 100% uh, total and permanent with the VA, if you have that designation, or 100% service-connected post-9-11 veterans. So if you fit into either of those two categories, you're going to get, and assuming that you provide proof to the Social Security Administration, they do have a way of checking, but when I talk to vets, I'm all about the being proactive, you know, bring your letter, show them this, in fact, I do have this um, designation. So if you fit into one of those two categories, you're going to get expedited claim processing with Social Security. Now, doesn't that sound fabulous, right? That sounds so good, and I'm being sarcastic. It sounds, it sounds scary to me because I've had to navigate so security and the VA, and any time anyone tells me something is easy with the government, I slow blink them because I, I recognize that it is never that easy. Well, but go ahead. Right. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds good. It sounds like we're going to give them better treatment and we care about them more. And, you know, so we're going to make a fast decision for them. If you get approved... That's a wonderful thing. You're going to find out in half the time, typically half the time than your general public. Is going Which is to about 120 days, isn't it, somewhere it's like that? Like it, it depends on the state, but generally speaking, the average is four to six months for a decision for a, a regular, you know, civilian person or a veteran without those designations. Okay. So in about half that time is what an expedited claim is supposed to be. Now, there's some give and take with it. It depends on whether or not they want to send you for a consultative exam. It depends on a number of things. But, you know, in theory, it's supposed to be half the, about half the time that a civilian would get a decision. So, however, <laughs> um, I was being kind of sarcastic because I'm finding that Many, many, many of these veterans are getting denied. Um, and I can tell you why that is. So mm -hmm. the, the process when you file, just basically I'm going to give you kind of a skeletal idea here. So the process when you file for Social Security disability is technically the Social Security Administration does not make any decision in your claim, unless it's a technical decision. But medical decisions do not get made by the Social Security Administration. Correct. Your, Correct. your claim actually gets transferred over to Disability Determination Services at your State Department of Labor. Most people don't know that. Mm -hmm. um, probably because the letters that come out from Social Security all sound like you know, SSA makes the decision. Yeah, like we're handling it right now, and we'll get back to you. Yes. <laughs> That's what they Yeah, I mean, you know, or you've been denied, and the letterhead is the Social Security Administration, so you just assume that's who's deciding your claim. No, Social Security doesn't have doctors and vocational experts. They transfer the claim over to DDS, or Disability Determination Services. So what happens is that claim gets transferred over immediately, pretty much, um, 
And then disability determination services uses your permission to send away for your medical records. They may send you for a consultative exam. They're quite likely to send you out a couple of forms to fill out, something about work history, something about can your I, activities. Go ahead. Can I ask you a question for our listeners? Sure. Because everyone doesn't know what a consultative exam is. What yeah. is that? What, okay. what, what does that look like? What is that? Oh, gosh. Okay, so a consultative exam is DDS deciding for some reason, and I could give you a couple reasons why they might yeah. do it. But let's talk, let's awesome. focus on, like, PTSD, TBI, or a physical injury, those three ones. So let's, let's use okay. those as examples. So, so they might send you for a consultative exam if there's not enough evidence in the file um, to support that claim. They might send you for a consultative exam if your medical evidence is old, it's not recent. They might send you for a consultative exam if there's conflicting evidence in the file. And sometimes they just do it for the heck of it, it seems like. Like, there doesn't seem to be a real reason for doing it. Not everybody gets sent for a consultative exam. I just want to be clear about that. But sometimes people do. So... Anyway, this is kind of the process, and you were, what was your question again? You were asking about, sorry. No, I, I, I just wanted to know for their listeners what a consultative exam, because what that is, because is that just I go oh, talk okay. to somebody? So is that, yeah. To, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they'll send you either to, you know, let's say a psychologist if it was a mental condition that was alleged, or they might send you to, you know, some kind of doctor Let's say you're alleging um, problems with your limbs or your back. Okay, so they're going to send you maybe to an orthopedic surgeon. Um, that person does a very cursory examination. They're usually very short, very brief, um, kind of ridiculous in my opinion. Um, but that doctor will then give their opinion to DDS as to the severity of your condition and your limitations. So that opinion carries less weight than your treating doctor's opinion, but it still carries some weight. So that's kind of what a consultative exam is. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that information. So when so so possibly step one, you you get your you gather all your documents, you file the initial claim, you state on the document somewhere that you the application that you're a veteran, um, whether you're post 9/11 or Vietnam era, um, or if you're helping someone to file the claim, you state what what service time, and possibly bring your medical records or sign a release for your medical records to come from the VA or from your other medical facilities. Now, I just want to insert a caveat here on that because just because you sign that document doesn't mean that the VA or any of those other agencies are going to send all of your documents. So, uh, Absolutely. Absolutely, Bridgette. You are yeah. spot on. Yeah, I tell people to get their own documents uh, whether and find out from the their whatever person that's handling their doc their paperwork, if they can accept the documents on a CD or, or, or if they need to be fully paper, you know, documents, whatever that is. And then I've even told people to take their documents and set color code, like put it in a binder, put the tabs on it, musculoskeletal, you know, post-traumatic, whatever those areas are so that all of that stuff is separated out so that the examiner or whomever is, processing whatever, whoever's handling it, uh, at least has that and have, you know, because they sign for it and they stamp it and they give you a copy and say that they uh, give you a thing and say that they've received it. So so now that's entered into, I say evidence, I don't know if that's the right word, but I feel like at that point you're entering your documents into ev- evidence for your claim. It's evidence. So, it absolutely okay. is evidence for the claim. And I'm really happy to hear that you're telling people that because... You are absolutely correct. Just because they send away for records doesn't mean that they get them. And for people, let's just throw out everybody that wouldn't meet the criteria, okay? Right. Because we, we do have people that file that really have no business filing, people that just 
maybe think that they're disabled, but they just aren't going to meet the Social Security Administration's criteria. So let's assume that we're just dealing with people that meet the criteria. I, as I said in my bio that I sent to you, I processed all of the denials for my office, thousands upon thousands of them. And it was a very um, thankless job. I didn't like it. I didn't like to see people getting denied benefits. But what it did do is it taught me a lot about how and why people get denied. And yes. one of the major reasons, one of the major reasons people that otherwise would meet the criteria get denied is because that medical evidence either never makes it into the file, only partly makes it into the file and it isn't sufficient, or yes. it makes it into the file but too late. The decision has already been made. And that last one is often the reason the why reason. Yeah. the expedited claim folks are at a disadvantage because you're talking about there's half the time to make the decision. So the folks at BDS, they're in the same situation as the folks at Social Security and the VA and every place else. They're short staffed. They don't have the budget they need. They don't have the time. And they're being pushed by their supervisors, move it along, move it along, get this claim resolved. If they can't, you know, if that evidence isn't in there, the easiest thing for them to do is to deny the claim. Or if the evidence is in there, but it's hundreds of pages, mm -hmm. there's no organization to it. Mm -hmm. You know, if they can't <laughs> see something pretty quickly that's going to help them say, well, I need to dig a little deeper. This looks pretty significant, this disability. Guess what's going to happen? They're going to be denied. So what I do is train people, you know, all of those steps to take exactly how to connect the dots for DDS, basically to do their job for them, which sounds terrible, but, you know, hey, whatever it takes to get yourself we want to We want to facilitate yes. <laughs> the prompt. Yes. Adjudication. No. <laughs> Absolutely. And there are so many places. In our that, favor. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. There are so many places where that can break down. It is. And yes. because I was on the inside working there, I saw where those things broke down. And I just recently, I say recently, within the last six months, had a veteran that I gave him specific instructions to bring his medical evidence to the Social Security office. Yes. He did. Guess what? That evidence didn't make it into the file. You know why? Because if it's more than 20 pages, it has to be snail mailed over to DDS by the Social Security Claim Specialist. Mm. And that claim specialist, for whatever reason, just left it on their desk. So, so it doesn't I, go to an inter-office. It doesn't go to like an inter-office process. Well, it has to be externally sent and then well, somebody has to do that yeah somebody oh. has to actually do that and so that's oh. of course the person that took the evidence you know handed was handed over from the veteran to the claim specialist oh that my claim word specialist, you know who knows what happened they probably had to go right on to their next interview their next interview maybe they were out sick who knows i'm not making excuses for them it shouldn't happen it absolutely shouldn't happen but it was sitting on their desk. So what I do is I tr I know that kind of thing can happen. I know where it can break down. And so what I do, in this case, I didn't, you know, get that veteran until a little bit later, but I teach people this is how you follow up. You have to follow up with this. You have to follow up with that because there can, there's just so many places where things can break down. And typically yeah. what happens when someone's dealing with a large government agency is they basically do it like this. They file, they get on, you know, their veterans group. They say, hey, I just filed for Social Security disability. Everybody pray for me. I'm crossing my fingers, and I'm hoping that I get approved. When I see that, I cringe. No, no, no. There's so much more you can do for yourself to advocate for yourself. You're listening to WVSJ, the Women Veteran Social Justice Network. With WVSJ Network, what most people don't know um, within the organization, we, we 
we don't do things for people. We teach you how to advocate for yourself and how to advocate for others. We come alongside and support you in that process. We connect you to the appropriate people who will advocate on your behalf. We, you know, give you resources and information that help make the process that you're going through, whatever that process is, less complicated. It's like, you know, uh, crowdsource is the term that um, people use now. But but it's it's really, you know, how to advocate for yourself because ultimately the tool, the skills that you learned how to advocate for yourself are transferable. You can use them in multiple arenas. So applying yeah. for your VA benefit, applying for, you know, for your Social Security, you know, talking to your landlord. I mean, but, you know, getting your benefits at the VA for your medical treatment. Like those skills can transfer. And, and, and a lot of times the vets are in positions where, especially if they, like TBI, like when I initially filed my claim, my TBI was so horrible. Executive function was not, like putting things together, that was just not <laughs> part of my process. I knew that I knew how to do that at one point, but I just couldn't execute it. And so having a really solid advocate who can say, okay, this is what you need to do and hold your hand through the process is ultimately a very important person in your life. That's why they, most people feel like they need a lawyer, um, which right. is, a, is, a, is a completely, you know, a, a even, you know, I say a higher order advocate. But at some point, there are some people who, their executive function is fine. They could do this process. They just need to know that there are steps and what those steps are and to have someone to maybe be an accountability partner or an advocate to walk alongside them through the process. So I definitely appreciate what you're doing. And people need to know, who, who, you know, where you are and who you are. So tell everyone your name again and tell us how we can find you so that people can reach out to you and know, you know, where, where you're offering these resources at. Sure. Okay. So my name is Lisa, L-I-S-A. Herring is my last name, and I'll spell it. It's H-I-E-R-I-N-G. My company name is Side by Side Solutions, LLC. You can find me on Facebook. That's the HTTP colon forward slash forward slash www.facebook.com forward slash S-B-S-S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S forward slash. So it's side-by-side solutions. You can find me there on, on Facebook. You can find me personally on LinkedIn. Um, that's linkedin.com forward slash I-N forward slash Lisa Herring. So, and I can be reached by email, which is side by side solutions LLC at gmail.com. And my toll free number is 888. Hold on one second. I want to make sure I get it to you right because I just got this number. <laughs> okay, no worries. 888. Yeah, it's 888 882 2855. Perfect. Thank you so, so much, uh, Lisa. That's that's really great. We need to make sure that our veteran and their family members know because a lot of times, um, in, in many cases, our veteran are not well enough to do this process. And so they have a caregiver who is helping to manage those pieces for them, and they're the one advocating on their behalf as a liaison to someone else. Mm-hmm. And so that adds a whole nother interesting layer of <laughs> uh, to the process, but I know that our listeners are men who are married to women who served, men who served themselves, men who are the sons to women who served, uh, you know, and men who are the fathers to women who served. So it's, it's very interesting um, within our community, the people who reach out to me and say, well, I'm a dad, my daughter is, is, is you know, has PTSD, and I keep telling her that she can apply for uh, Social Security, and uh, she just doesn't want to do it. She doesn't want to, like you say, take from somebody else, because most times in, in this era that's coming out now, most of those folks are in their early 20s, mid-20s, early 30s, and so there's an idea in their mind that, you know, they're, air quotes, taking from somebody who needs it more than them, and, you know, having to 
give that information to the parent or to the spouse or to the um to the son to say, you know, yeah, they're, they're, they can apply, but there are things they need to do in that process. They have to go get treatment. <laughs> it's like that's, you yeah. know, one right. of the big well, things. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's one of the big things they were always saying, you know, they have to get treatment. Like you can be a family member and see symptoms and see a video and say, oh, that looks like PTSD or, oh, that looks like TBI, whatever the condition is. But that person has to be, have a medical professional treating them on a pretty regular basis um, to help support that claim. It, it, it right. can't be that they just woke up and you just, they're just going to go and see one doctor and then that's going to fix it all. It, there has to be, because it's a legal process and people need to recognize that just like you go before a judge and a court and all of those things, these, the same processes happen behind the scenes um, unless you end up having to go through the, the court process. And maybe you want to explain that a little bit to some of our, our listeners because they uh, because a lot of times that's when people go ahead and get a lawyer. I'm not sure if that's an appropriate time to reach out to you or they need to have already been talking to you before then or if that's that they need a lawyer at that point if they're if they're going to be going before a judge. So I get um, I get people at all stages. So I okay. get people at the initial claim level. I get people um, somewhere in the appeal process. Okay. So this this is not the complete appeal process. There's a little more to it than this. But basically, you're talking about if someone's denied at the initial claim level, in other words, they file for the first time and they get denied. Um, in most states, all but about six, the next um, the next thing to do is to file a request for reconsideration, which is the first level of appeal. Both of those are handled by DDS, the Department of Labor. They're the ones making the decision. So when it's a request for reconsideration for a claim, it's going to be different people at DDS that are going to look at it. It's not going to be the same people that denied the veteran in the first place. It's going to be, you know, brand new decision, brand new set of eyes is the rule. So if someone, and again, this is most states, if someone gets denied at that point, um, the next level of appeal is a request for a hearing in front of an administrative law judge. So, you know, then you're talking about a judge being able to see you in person. A lot of disabilities are visible. Certainly there are some that aren't, but the judge being able to actually see the claimant and speak to the claimant sometimes is very, very powerful. Um, usually by the time someone has gotten to the point where they're in front of a judge, enough medical evidence has accrued in the file to really help um, get a positive decision for the claimant. Sometimes it's just a matter of it it took time to get in there. Somebody doesn't really Ah. know how to make sure it gets in there. Also, by that time, you know, the individual uh, claimant is pretty credible from the standpoint of they haven't worked in quite some time. So there's that aspect to it. And a lot of times, you know, this is sad, but a lot of times people's condition, if they're stressed out and not getting the treatment they need to get, the condition can get worse or they can be diagnosed with something additional even. So all of those things are contributing factors to a lot of times the decision will be reversed by an administrative law judge. I want to say something about lawyers here, and I want to um, preface it by saying my father was a lawyer. (laughs) I'm not, you know, I'm not lawyer bashing, although it's going to sound a little bit that way. What I'm really (laughs) kind of bashing is the system. Yes. So the way that the Social Security system is set up as far as attorneys go is that attorneys get paid. um, They don't get paid up front. They get paid out of retroactive benefits. So not everybody gets retroactive benefits, start by saying that. And so attorneys are typically not interested in claims where there isn't going to be either any back benefits or not sufficient back benefits for them to get any kind of a decent fee. So sometimes, you know, they'll tell the claimant, we really don't think you have a good claim, you know, you're younger, when in fact it might be a very good claim, but because 
the attorney, it's not valuable to the attorney because the fee is just not going to be there for them. I don't like that. You know, to me, that's not really being honest with the claimant. Somebody could be discouraged from filing when, in fact, they have a very good claim. In addition to that, basically, for me, as a disabled person, you know, I I got approved first go-round, which is not an easy thing for someone that's worked there. We have additional reviews that our claims go through. But yeah. I I would have not wanted to prolong my agony any longer than it already was. So I have the same goal as my clients, which is I want you to get approved as quickly and painlessly as possible. I don't want to prolong this. I don't want to drag it out. I don't want you to have to file an appeal or an additional appeal. And unfortunately, with attorneys, the longer the claim goes on, you know, gets denied, gets denied. Right. The more back money accrues to the right. point where they can get their maximum fee, which by law now is $6,000 or 25% of the retroactive money, whichever is less. So they're shooting for that $6,000. Yes. And so in many cases, the claim certainly has to go on for a while. And so, you know, they just don't have the same goal as the veteran. Let's mm-hmm. just say that. And that's not their fault. It's just the way that the system is set up. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I recognize what you're saying. I've been <laughs> offered to work for attorneys. Yeah, I've been offered to work for attorneys, and I won't do it because from an ethical standpoint, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do that to claimants. To me, it should be a push to get them approved as soon as possible. So and that's so, kind of my... I, I really appreciate you giving that that perspective because people need to one understand that you are a woman who is, has is disabled who is doing this work after you have re, you know a, had a, these experiences within the system so you know what the inner I call it the underbelly but the inner workings of <laughs> of the system. Uh, the government system, and not only did you have the inner, in the inner working, you were in the inner sanctum, the end part where it was like, this, these are the claims that are being denied, and you got to, from a data point of view, which is another area of, of love for me, I am a, I am, I am very data driven, even if I don't necessarily talk about it, I look for things, you know, similarities based on how many times this has happened, how many times I've heard this, how many times I've seen this. And so you were able to sit and look at that and say, wow, this is the hundredth claim that was like that, that that was a veteran that had this thing and had this situation. And so you, um, from your experience, have been able to see firsthand like the things that got people denied. And, and so that is very, to me, that's a refinement that many people doing these claims are not paying attention to because you can, from a, from a, from a quality standpoint, look at something because you've seen the things that get denied. You can look at something very quickly and say, ah, thing, this is going to be a red point for them. They're going to, this is going to be something that you need to clear up so that, you know, so that we don't have any problems with this. So I, I, I would like to make sure that our listeners recognize that because sometimes when you're looking for someone to help you, and this is this is my own peeve, it may not be anyone else's, you know, just because somebody has a really nice brochure, just because they have a really nice website, doesn't mean that they know a hill of beans about what they're talking about. You, using the jargon doesn't always mean that the person knows, you know, how to execute that. Knowing something exists and knowing where it exists doesn't mean that you know how to execute within that existence. And so I'm trying to get my listeners to understand that you know how to execute within the existence, not only know the the lingo and not only know the process. And so it's very important, especially our women, because we tend to not get, again, as much help, our assistance, our direction, right away as maybe our male counterparts and we tend to get the discouragement like what you said uh you can't apply 
because you don't qualify because and sometimes there's the people who work within those agencies that tell us these things and so I appreciate you coming on the, the show today to just kind of give us some insight so that we know that one there's a process most of us know that but that you know um, we actually have someone who can we can come to that can at least give us guidance you know, you, you can apply, but you need more evidence. You should apply right now because you have everything. Okay, you should take your paperwork and, and get this done, but you need to do it this kind of way. Uh, I appreciate you being willing to come on the show and tell this information. Thank but I also you. appreciate you, you because as a woman who is disabled myself, I recognize the, the challenges that we face as women who run businesses or do the work of business uh, and manage, you know, varying abilities within that and, and the value that we bring and, and the value that we, you know, present, but then also on the other end, it's a business and people are hiring you to do the work. So there is an expectation that there is, you know, whether it's a bartering, whether it's paying service for services, that there is, there are fees and things associated with your expertise. So I also want to make sure that our veteran know that because sometimes our vets, think that things are free because they're used to seeing that alongside of stuff but nothing is free I have a really really (laughs) small fee right Right now I charge civilians twice what I charge veterans because I really would have preferred not to charge veterans anything that would have been my desire but I have my I have my life and I need to support I don't have anybody supporting me so um, you know I have to charge a little bit but I, as I said, I charge double to the civilians because I actually prefer to work with veterans anyway. Um, one of the joys of working with veterans is that basically what I do is give them a mission. So we were talking earlier about self-advocacy and, you know, empowerment. And I basically give them a mission and marching orders, and I tell them exactly why I want them to do it the way I want them to do it, and they actually get excited. And I do end up on the phone with a lot of caregivers, too, you know, because it's really super important to have those support people to do the remembering, to take the notes, to go with them. You know, those kinds of things are really important. Um, But it's I, I love working with veterans because I know when I get off the phone that this veteran is actually going to take action or they're going to solicit their their caregiver, you know, to help them take the action. Whereas when I get off the phone with a civilian, I'm never sure. So, um, you know, I just I just know that, that veterans get it. You know, they don't question me about why is the rule like that? You know, I don't get any whining. So right. whereas, you know, working with some civilians, I, I got a lot of whining. So my preference really is to work with veterans. But amazingly enough, you know, some of the things that I talk to veterans about, believe it or not, is mindset. Yep. So mindset in filing for disability is critical. It's very, very critical. Um, I won't go into all of that now, but it is something that I have to have a pretty intense conversation with all of my vets about because their military mindset can really work against them. So we have to talk about that. Um, One of the other things that I wanted to mention is that, you know, typically people think that Social Security disability is permanent disability. It can be. So basically what I tell veterans is, look, if you do need this for the rest of your life, it's there for you. You paid in, it's your money they're paying you back, and, you know, it's there for you if you need it. But what a lot of people don't realize is that you can use it as a bridge or a stopgap to get yourself more financially stable, go take the time to, you know, have some breathing room, get the treatment that you need to get. Um, And then you can, and Social Security has an excellent, very fair process for this. You can try to go back to work. And when I say try, I mean you can try it out over an extended period of time. There's a whole bunch of um, 
you know, there's some rules and, and things that you have to follow, but there's a super nice process. It's very fair and reasonable. They don't grab your check away from you the minute you try to go back to work. Um, so I, one of the things I send out after a consultation is Social Security's pamphlet on that. You know, I tell them, look, you're not there now, but at some point in the future, if you're thinking about maybe you want to try to go back to work, there's no judgment or shaming on the part of the Social Security Administration if you got your benefits and turned around a month later and said, I want to try to go back to work. They're all for it. So, you know, that nobody's going to say to you, oh, really, you were faking? It's not like that at all. Um, <laughs> right, and, okay. And so people are really happy to find that out, you know, like, oh, really, that's an option for me? And one of the mm-hmm. things I love to do is give myself as an example. I say, look, I am currently collecting Social Security disability. I am still getting my check. So I am in this process right now. So I'm a good example. Mm. I could not find a job at a company that could accommodate me. I'm in my recliner right now. So I can't go sit at a desk. If I could still do that, work on a computer, I would still be at the Social Security Administration. So I can't do that anymore. But I can do this job, run my business. Oh, my goodness, we live in such a fantastic time. I literally can run 99 of my business from my phone, laying yep. in my recliner. It yep. is awesome, and I have a business coach. His name is Brian King. He's disabled. Um, he's been immensely helpful to me. He helps disabled entrepreneurs. I know of any number of veteran disabled entrepreneurs that are totally kicking it. Um, love to share their, you know, information and expertise. It is entirely possible to recreate yourself even being disabled. Because Absolutely. when you become, when you become disabled, and I'm sure you probably went through this yourself, you know, it's a huge identity crisis. It yes. can be very anxiety producing. It can be extremely depressing. You can feel like now I am a useless human being. I went from being very useful to now I'm useless. I'm going to become a burden on the people that care about me. You know, it's really tough in there. I've been there. And, but it doesn't have to be. So I always say I'm in the business of hope. Yes. (laughs) I love, I love to give my veterans hope and it's legitimately absolutely true that they have loads of options. They don't see that coming in. But hopefully after talking to me, you know, it starts to percolate with them because you're talking about folks that are super capable and, you know, just an amazing group of people, veterans are. They just need to understand that life is not over for them. There are all kinds of options for them, even with their disabilities. Lisa, that is a good place to end. I think what's going to have to happen is we're going to have to have a part two where we talk about the program, that part of it, because of the other part of what WVSJ has been doing through our ambassador program is just that. We have been engaging people at the level where they are in meaningful ways in, in, in the community, in different Different, just different things to give them exposure because sometimes, you know, if you're used to doing it, using a jackhammer, you know, it's like, what do I, what am I going to be able to do now? And it's like, well, I don't know, but let's see. Let's, let's, let's bring you over here and let's do some outreach. Let's take you over here and let's do some presentations. Let's, let, have you ever written a book before? You know, it's like, let me expose you to the full gamut of what's out here and, uh, and the people who will absolutely support you. And let's see what you can do. And I'm telling you, um, and, and some of the women still are not working a air quotes full-time employment, but they're, I call them cottage jobs where they're just doing, some of them are really hobbies, <laughs> if you want to call it right. anything. Um, but they're making a little, you know, doing little things, little trinkety things, and they're saying, you know, it pays for my supplies to be able to continue to do this. And so, um, and I think that that's important that people know the difference because I just coached someone this conversation. Uh, she's like, oh, people want my 
things. I'm doing these things. They're excited about it. I said, they're excited about it now, but you got to re- recognize, is this a hobby or is this a business? Because a business means you're going to have to go out and get contracts and you're going to have to manage, you know, the, the overhead and, and make sure you have that. A, you know, a hobby is like Susie came by and wanted me to make some bows for her. I made them. She gave me $5. That's not a, that's not a business. <laughs> if you're only doing that every, you know, three or four days a month. Um, <clears throat> unless no, I made that. I made you. that transition this year. Yeah. I made that. Oh my gosh, that's so year. good. That's so, so good. <laughs> I had done this for almost five years pro bono for free. Yeah. yeah. And this year, I decided for my own financial reasons that I really was in a situation where I had to start charging a small fee to veterans, and of course, yeah. I get civilian clients too. So I did, and it's a whole different ball game. That's why I got a coach. I got a business coach. I said, you know what? This is not something I know how to do the business end of it. I'm very mm-hmm. comfortable with the social security disability end of it. Yeah. But the business end of it is a whole, <laughs> a whole different ball game. Yep. So that, that is very important that you said that. And, and I'm really looking forward to part two. If I can coerce you to come back and maybe talk about that part, what that looked like yeah. for you, because I think that that's a parallel for our women veteran, that they need to hear that, you know, there is hope that you can come back from it. They hear me say it all the time, and they're just like, oh, Bridget, you're, you're always saying that stuff. But hearing it from someone else and and seeing, um, you know, your you know your impact in the community, I think will give women uh, another um, another example, another shining example of how resilient we can be, you know, just because you are no longer able to do that thing that you were doing before doesn't mean that you cannot impact people's lives in a positive way and earn an income at whatever level that you need to for your life. It, 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 they're like completely different islands. You don't, they're not the same exact thing. And I think that that, for me, if I can be very honest, the saddest part for me at the very beginning of my process was that that's what I thought. I thought if I file for Social Security, I'm doing it because I need the, the, the financial resource to get, you know, take care of my family. But when I do this, does that mean I'm no longer a viable citizen, you know, contributing to, right. you know, to, to the workforce, contributing to my community? And for those listeners who know and followed me for the 10 years that I've been going through this process, uh, you know that that is absolutely not true. And I'm at that point that you're, that you've come through is saying, okay, I've done this. I've done it pro bono. I've helped people. I've given away hundreds of millions of dollars of intellect. Now it's time to move into, you know, realizing my passion and at the same time earning a livable wage for that, yeah. you know. So it's, it's, but it's, it's a mindset. You have to have all the pieces it in is. place and you have to have the proper support. And so I'm thankful, very thankful for you coming on the show and I'm very thankful for you bringing so much wisdom to uh, the podcast. Even though you're a civilian, I'm teasing you because that was one of your concerns, and I told you it shouldn't be one of your concerns. I felt like you were going to bring a whole lot of knowledge to us. Thank you so much for being with us. And you've been listening to Bridget McCoy at uh, Heroes Media Group here on, actually, Heroes Media Group is the platform, and we're on Women Veterans Social Justice Network's podcast. Thank you so much for listening and tune in next week. God showed me, here is where I